You are listening to That'll Preach, a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast, and we are pushing the envelope on culture and theology because we are controversial and we like spicy topics like what we're going to talk about today. We're not actually that controversial. I know, but this is just this is just for the advertising money, guess, Paul. Yeah. I'm Brian Zang, I lead the college ministry and adult education at Four Oaks Midtown. I am with Paul Rezcala, PhD student pursuing philosophy at Florida State University. Paul, how you doing? Wonderful. That's not true. <laughs> I'm recording a podcast with Brian at midnight. It's, this is this is when our best thinking happens, or our worst. The story of my life. You make you make the call. But um, we have been in a series uh, on the seven deadly sins. We're calling it Tallahassee Vice. If that joke makes any sense to you, good for you. You're probably too old. Probably too old. Um, but we have been looking at the what are commonly called the seven deadly sins. And uh, what we want to do is we want to name these sins, learn about them so that we can grow out of them, that we can make some progress in our lives fighting these That's sins. That's what going to say. <laughs> we learn about them so that we can do them So better. that we can do them better. So that we can <laughs> sin better. Actually, we want to sin less, and hopefully this is how we can do that. So this week we're going to look at the sin of sloth. What do you think about when I say sloth, Paul? I think of a sloth. Okay, there you have it. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the podcast. Join us next week. Right. Well, the idea of sloth is something that uh, often is misunderstood. Like mm-hmm. there's a misconception about sloth that sloth simply means being lazy. It's like you wake up, you don't want to get out of bed, you just sort of roll out of bed and you're just slow moving throughout the day and you don't want to take care of yourself or something like that. But it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think that's one reason why people tend to like write this as a vice off pretty quickly. They're like, yeah, laziness, it's not that big of a deal. But sloth is actually way more vicious, uh, see what I did there, than just laziness. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more underneath it. We'll talk about that. What are some misconceptions about sloth? Well, so it's, first of all, it's not just laziness. So it's not just the like, think of the sloth hanging in the tree. But uh, Rebecca DeYoung actually gives a really good example to illustrate what sloth is. So Imagine a husband and a wife, they have a really nice dinner, and then like one of those old arguments that they have flares up, and then they each go to their separate, you know, room in the house. Just imagine this happens. Yeah, Not that this, this ever happens, happens, but just imagine hypothetically, hypothetically clearly, that this happens. Clearly, we're philosophers, we're just thinking hypothetically. <laughs> they each go to their separate room, like they don't want to reconcile or do the hard work of like arguing, figuring it out so that they can uh, go on with their lives. They do like the fact that they're married, they like that relationship, but in that moment, they don't want to do the work that is required to keep that relationship alive in that moment. Because reconciliation is hard, forgiveness is hard, owning up is hard, all those kinds of things. So sloth is that kind of um, behavior or phenomenon. It's where you, you enjoy the relationship or you enjoy the love and you want the love but you don't want to do what love requires, namely self-sacrifice, all these kinds of things. And that manifests in our spiritual lives where we enjoy God's love. We like being benefactors of God's love. We like the security. We like all these things, but we don't like the hard stuff, which is the sanctification, the transformation, the crucifying the flesh, all these kinds of things, which are demanded by God's love. So it's like we're in that relationship with God and we don't want to do the hard thing to like put us in good 
uh, standing again or like do the things that are actually good for us because that's what love requires. So it, it really has a spiritual aspect to it, right? It, it's not just merely being lazy, but there's a, a refusal to do the hard work of love. It's an avoidance. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the attitude that's behind it. I think uh, Young, like you were saying, she does mention it is stirring from a lack of love, a lack of the demands of love, and uh, a resistance to, to, to the daily disciplines and dying to self that love requires of us, mm. which means that there's a lot of different ways to be slothful. Um, something that she mentions, which I think is a good way to look at it, is that sloth can be, you could be slothful and you could be busy all the time. Right. You yeah, could yeah. be full of activity, but you could but you could be doing that to escape your responsibilities, to mm-hmm. escape loving your family, to escape dealing with uh, some issue w- that you have with another person, and escape from actually caring about somebody else. So, j- simply the presence of a lot of activity doesn't mean you're avoiding sloth, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she also makes the point that you can be slothful because you've completely lost. Hope. So you could be slothful by distracting yourself from your responsibilities, or you could feel so apathetic that it doesn't even matter. And I think those are two things. Escapism and apathy are the two avenues of sloth that we often indulge in, especially when we don't want to do what we know is going to be required of us uh, to love. And, and, and we, we, we want to cling to our comfort. So if you want to stick with the A letter theme, uh, you just call them avoidance and apathy. Two ways right. that sloth manifests in the Christian life. So the escapism and the indifference, uh, we can try to avoid the demands of love or we just become like so indifferent that we just don't care about uh, what God's love demands of us. Well, the husband and wife illustration you talked about, mm-hmm. um, there is a demand of love in that in that circumstance. And it's much harder to meet that demand or to sacrifice to meet that demand than it is to, it's, it's sort of like inertia. Like if you are, uh, it's easier just to stay still. It's mm-hmm. easier just to be an object at rest and just go with the status quo, even though it's terrible. Like your relationship is failing. You know, you should be doing more, but it's just, there's so much comfort in just keeping things the way they are. And you know how much it will take for you to properly love either your spouse or your kids or your friends. You know how much energy and effort and, and self-denial that will take that we choose simply to remain the way that we are. And that choosing to remain. Yep. And that idea of choosing to remain is the heart of being slothful. Yeah. I mean, deep down, it is just like complacency. And like you said, it's imagine like, uh, you know, you're riding a bike up a hill kind of thing. And the Christian life or just any relationship that's worth having in life is one of those things where if you're not like exerting effort to keep moving forward, to keep going up, you're going to slide back down. You're going to like lose progress. You're going to regress. Um, And so the Christian life or just any relationship that's worth cultivating is going to require constantly pressing forward. And uh, this looks often more than like, like this is just daily tasks of serving other people. So like in a marriage, what's like indicative or characteristic of love is not like uh, a special dinner or like a candlelit thing every night. It's taking out the trash. It's, you know, listening to the other person talk about their day. It's 
giving the person a break while you do the dishes so that they can, you know. So it's in those little moments, those daily tasks where like true love is forged and strengthened. So too in our Christian lives, it's the small things that we do every day that kill the fight, vice in us and builds virtue. It's these good habits, getting rid of the bad habits and building the good ones. Well, that's what De Young talks about. She says that love is, is essentially a sequence of decisions that lead up to commitment. That's good. And, uh, well, I didn't write it. You should get that on a bumper sticker. I know, right? Or a tattoo, <laughs> right? But uh, John Gottman, Dr. John Gottman, who wrote, he, he's like a big psychology professor. He's done a lot of stuff, research on marriages. One of the things he talks about is that trust is built not in these extravagant, you know, moments, but daily in seeing a partner serve and seeing a friend sacrifice on your behalf. It's those little moments when they, when they respond to the call of love. Uh, that's what builds trust. And the flip side is when you continually reject the call of love, you refuse to do what love demands of you, you are, in, you are indulging in sloth and you are, in a sense, destroying the trust and relationship too. But also to that point of like, there is a kind of like, it's easier to get married than it is to be married or to stay married. So making the initial contact or like forming the relationship at the start is really easy, um, but it's really difficult to stay that way. So there's a kind of like theologians like to talk about the already but not yet like aspect of Christianity. There is that also in the Christian life too. Like we are, uh, we are saved, we're justified, but sanctification is a lifelong process. So you get married, you take your vows, but being married means living out those vows. So too also in the Christian life, you're saved, you're converted, you're justified, uh, but living out that life is a life of sanctification and putting to death your flesh, and that's really hard. Um, and it's not legalism. Right, yeah. You know, that's kind of the, 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 the religious boogeyman, you know, like legalism. Everything don't, is legalism. Don't put in effort to anything. Well, that's not what legalism is. Hmm. You know, legalism is talking about doing things to earn the love of another. But this is about uh, working out your love for the other. Exactly. In actions, mm -hmm. which is what Paul, uh, with Philippians, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you both the will and to work. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, there is a call to, a command for us to live out our salvation. So if you nurse grudges, right, you're not living out uh, love in a relationship. Right. If you refuse to say, I'm sorry, you know, you know, you can feel the amount of effort it's going to take to make the relationship right. And the refusal to do that is that that pull of sloth for us where we just would rather let it blow over, not deal with it at all. Mm. So I think so many of our problems, especially relationally, come from that. And uh, what about what about with regard to God? You know, can we be slothful towards God? And what, what would that look like? Oh, absolutely. And when you look at like the Christian tradition and how they talked about sloth, like the, the examples that are used from scripture, Lot's wife, for example. So here you have God saves Lot and his family. And so Lot's wife sees God's providence there and God's love and doesn't want to do the very simple command of not looking back, but she does. And the same with Israel. God saves his people Israel out of Egypt and gives them a new land, prompt, like parts the Red Sea, all these things. And yet they keep looking back towards Egypt, towards like the food that they had in Egypt. Even they like totally forget that they were slaves there. 
those examples are like basically what we do in the Christian life where we, we are benefactors of God's love. We enjoy that part of like the security, the, the reputation, the whatever good things come along with that. But we keep looking back to our old lives or we look back to just like, man, things are just easier when I don't have to like pray or fast or think about other people. Um, and so that complacency there is just sloth setting in and it's the refusal of our complying with what love requires. And that God provides us everything we need to follow him. Yeah. Like yeah. you think about Israel, like you were saying, I mean, he gave them food, he gave them water, he gave, he was mm-hmm. guiding them in a pillar of fly, uh, fire a and cloud. And I, I mean, he had everything for them and he gave them Moses and it still wasn't enough. And so the issue wasn't God's willingness to help. It was their willingness to trust. Right. And so sloth is a lack of trust mm-hmm. in God. And something that DeYoung mentions is that you can be slothful by not, you know, being what God has called you to be, by shying away, hmm. you know, and that, that there is a, a, a call, you know, and, and she talks about how you can be slothful if your mind is always restless. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. You're constantly diverting yourself. Um, you're constantly distracted uh, because you're avoiding bearing the weight of what, whatever responsibilities that you have and that you're not living wholeheartedly for God. And that was, that was a really, like, you think about the Israelites, it's like, live whole, I've just brought you out of slavery. You are free. Hmm. You have God with you. So trust me and live wholeheartedly serving me. And serving me is not slavery. Yeah. Right? Mm. I treat you way better than any master before. And I think about, we can look at our own lives and are we really wholehearted? Wholehearted in our devotion to God, wholehearted in our prayer lives, wholehearted in serving one another to where it's like, God's like, what's holding you back from all of this? And whatever that is, is holding us back is, is coming from sloth. Well, it's also true that like, you see this theme when God tells Israel, I prefer obedience to sacrifice. So there, there's a perfect example of sloth where you try to substitute actually doing what love requires, namely obedience, and you do the busy work of temple ritual. So on the outside, it looks like you're doing everything. And Jesus even talks about this is a people who like worship me with their mouths, but their lips are far from me. You know how much their hearts are far from their hearts are far from, yeah, did I, I mix it? He said two? lips. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Their mouth, but their lips have we'll, been ripped off their we'll faces. We'll edit that in post. <laughs> yeah, right. Or you know how much dill and mint to tithe, right. but you don't care about like the poor, you don't care about justice, the these kinds of things. The weightier things, the yeah. things that, that really matter. So you can, you can busy yourself, you can be restless in this kind of like just busy doing things on the outside that will appease your conscience, but they're not getting at the real source of the issue. I remember uh, I heard a pastor preaching when he was saying, you know the biggest obstacle to building a strong local church community? It's soccer practice. <laughs> and what he mentioned was that if you're playing, you know, travel soccer every weekend and your family can only come to church once every two months, well, then it's like, well, it's family time. It's like, yeah, but I th- are you sure? Or are you refusing the, the demand of love to love mm. your local church? Um, because we can often do that. We can pit good things against good things. And God never wants us to do that. We don't, you know, like there's, there's other ways that we can sacrifice and we can make it work. And we talk about that with, you know, students that they, they miss Sunday morning church because they're up till three in the morning studying the night before. Well, it's like, you don't like figure out a way not to study that late. (laughs) 
that's not that's not a rule that you have to study that late. And you could maybe plan out your week better. And you're never really studying till three a.m. anyway. You know what I mean? It's you're like on SnapTwit or whatever it's called. I went to film school though, so we didn't have to study for anything. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the demands of love, again, that we keep coming back to that word. And I think there's something in us. We don't like the idea of the demand of love um, because we feel like love should be this feeling that just bursts up in us and that we just sort of naturally just do all these things. And that's Mm. not really the case. So what, I mean, in your mind, what does it look like for somebody to grow out of sloth or to change from a slothful person into a person who's who's, uh, what's the, I guess, pursuing love. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, we can call it that. De Young actually gives the example of, um, this is totally going to date me, but the Groundhog Day example. At least someone's dating you. Please, <laughs> <laughs> Brian. Uh, anyway, so Groundhog Day, where Phil Connors wants to, Bill Murray's character wants to date this woman, Rita. And so if you don't know the premise of Groundhog Day, he relives the same day over and over and over and over again. He's stuck in this just like time vortex. And um, sorry, so if you know if you don't know Groundhog Day, so if you don't know Groundhog Day, uh, basically Bill Murray is Phil Connors. He's this character. He's stuck replaying the same day over and over and over and over again. He's stuck in this time vortex, and he ends up becoming interested in this woman named Rita. Um, and so he uses all of his like endless amounts of time to try to win her over. So at the start, he's kind of just like apathetic, but interested in her sexually, romantically, but doesn't really want to do anything to pursue that. Um, He's just like, yeah, whatever. She's cool. She's nice, but I'm not going to like change my life for her. That's apathy. And then later he like just does everything possible to try to be with her. He learns French poetry. He learns how to play the piano. He like learns her favorite drink. He like fakes becoming a philanthropist, all these kinds of things. But she keeps realizing that deep down, he's still like a really selfish person. So in that attempt, he's busied himself so much, but distracted or avoided the actual root issue, which was his selfishness. And in the last act of the movie, he starts pursuing her and pursuing good things in and of themselves. Like not because of selfish reasons, not just because he wants her sexually, but because he cares about her as a person. And then spoiler alert, the time vortex breaks when he becomes a good person. So, so this, it, it, it highlights like the apathy on one side, right? the avoidance on the other by like doing busy things. Um, those are the two opposite extremes of like how sloth manifests and the right course of action is in doing the demands of love, loving the person, in this case, God, as he's called to be loved, as he wants to be loved, and knowing that that's going to transform us um, in a deep way. That, and those rude motivations, everything we're talking about, all the vices that we're mentioning, they all have to deal in some way with a focus on self. And all of their cures, all of the ways out, deal with a turning outward of oneself outward towards God, and then outward towards other people. And I think with that example of Groundhog Day, like you were saying, that he's, he's, he begins to not view these things as merely a way to manipulate his way into getting the girl to like him, but he views them as good things in themselves, and he views her as a person. And then he wants to be the kind of person that you would be with, which is a different motivation than trying to like trick her, essentially, into liking him. And I think that, that 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 distinction between actually being transformed at your core into a different person versus merely wanting the facade of transformation, 
which is again just a way to avoid the deep work that has to happen. Mm, yeah. I mean, and, and somebody looking from the outside in on Bill Murray's character learning French poetry, learning piano might be like, man, look at how much he loves her. But actually, like, it's not loving at all because he's just like doing these things to get something from her. It's, 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 it's that exact example of like sacrifice instead of obedience. You've done like the external thing, but refuse to do the actual like inner heavy lifting, which is the transformation and the changing of habits and the really, really hard stuff that we don't want to deal with. And that's just, that is sloth to a T. You think about God too. We, we want to, um, like you were saying, we want to love God the way that he calls us to love him, right? Which means that we don't love him so that he'll do certain things for us. Because what he wants us to know is the freedom of not having that kind of a transactional relationship. Right, right. And that as we obey him, we receive something better. We receive the knowledge of, of knowing better who he is and what he's like. And our hearts begin to change. We realize, man, I've been focusing my life on these things that ultimately can't give me what I need. And I think that some of the ways that God frees us from that is he keeps the demand of love on us and he gives us these commands as a blessing, as a way to, you know, why does he say, don't have any other idols? Don't have any idols. Worship me alone. Well, because idolatry never, you know, having false gods or, or thinking this will fix you, it never delivers on that promise. And God wants to spare us of that. Hmm. And so the demand of love is to be faithful to him, not because he's insecure, but because that is the greatest thing for us to be focused on him, to love him alone, mm. right? And that's what he tells, he tells Israel, like, look, if you just would turn away from the idols, I would bless your land. Like, I would actually reward you, <laughs> right? And having a right relationship to me is the best thing for you. But it's so much, I guess there's a sense in which it's because of our sin nature, it's so much easier just to feed into our idols. It's so much easier just to feed into sin. Because in our twisted way of thinking, we go, this is how I get what I actually need and God is all about preventing me from getting what I need, which mm. is exactly the lie in the garden. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of layers to sloth than just, you know, not wanting to go for a run in the morning. The novelist Anne Limot says, God loves us exactly as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. So, you know, everyone's like, yeah, only God will judge me or God loves me just as I am. That's true. But because God loves you, God won't let you stay in the current, you know, self-destructive state that you're in. So again, sloth is a preventing of becoming the better person, the better human that God wants us to be. God's laws and God's commands, the requirements of love are always for our own good and for our own sake. It's never just like, hey, we need to meet this like cosmic checklist Right. Of like the good things we have to do, uh, all of God's loving requirements of us are things that are good for us and that will make us better, that will make us more like Christ. And ultimately, that's what we want to be. We want to be better humans. We want to like um, slowly but surely grow more into what it means to be human. And uh, what we're currently in, marred by sin, that's not the way humans are. So God's requirements are pulling us out of that. And uh, it's, it's for our own good. It's for our own sake. And that's why we have the gift of the Spirit to empower us to do that. Mm. And sometimes it just takes practice. You know, like with the Bill Murray illustration, even when he started to pursue that girl rightly, he still was doing it with mixed motives. Mm -hmm. But 
the pattern, the actual habits that he was changing actually began to change his heart. So right. we do change from the inside out, but sometimes we change from the outside in. Sometimes the the doing of the act, uh, even if it's imperfect, you know, I think just going, ah, you know, I, I know I shouldn't do this for that reason, but I kind of am. It's okay. Just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And each time be aware of how your motivations are slowly changing and go, this time I, w- I really want to be selfless. And it's, it's a journey. We're never going to get there. But that's where the transformation happens. It's in the striving for it. And so so practically, what would you say if somebody's like, man, you know, I, I listen to this podcast and I feel like I'm slothful in a lot of ways. How do we change? How do we practically do that? I know it's by the Spirit, by God's power, through the gospel. But what does that mean on the ground? Well, it, it's two things. First of all, it's that what you just said right there. It's that stability, perseverance, endurance. Like the New Testament uses this language all the time. Like the Christian journey is one of endurance, perseverance, long-suffering, patience, stability, commitment. Like when you get married, you're committing. And that means that like, I'm not going to just act and live out based on how I feel. Because if I did, I would just never do anything that was hard or difficult at all ever. Um, but that kind of just stability, doing it even when it doesn't feel like it. So that means going to church, that means reading scripture, that means fellowshipping, that means serving, that means all these kinds of things. Um, And it's interesting that like culture has sold us this lie that like you should never do anything unless your heart is in it or unless you have feelings or whatever. And that's just like, it's total nonsense. Um, It it really is just ultimately self-serving. And the way, the better way, the way out of that is the stable way, the way of perseverance that even when things, when I don't, I just don't feel like it. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to like kiss my spouse when they come home. If I had a spouse, that'd be great, but I don't have a spouse. Um, hypothetically, all these kinds of things. Like if you do these things when you don't feel like them, they build in you like a muscle, like the person who works out every single day, 5 a.m. and lifts and they can lift more and then they can run more and then they can like, it is a muscle and it grows with practice. So Commitment and adhering to commitment, being stable, being that kind of stable-minded person is huge. Like that is the main um, defense against sloth. And two is just building discipline in other areas too. So when you build discipline in one area, it tends to like domino effect. So it's very rare that you see somebody who's like a bodybuilder, but is also just super procrastinating or whatever. Like, I mean, it does happen, but it's rare. Like these kinds of discipline and training your body, they come together in like a package. So if you're the kind of person who you're building discipline, worshiping, reading scripture, meeting with people, discipling, you're going to find that it builds your ability to, to keep your commitments in other areas as well. So it is, again, just that muscle training. Like you can't expect to be able to do everything perfectly the first time, but slowly but surely that day by day, keeping the mundane tasks, doing what you're called to do in the situation you're in, your church, your family, your friendship group, your work. Uh, Just be faithful in those areas, be stable, persevere, endure. And scripture says that to those who endure, they will receive the crown of life. So there's a reward for that. um, And ultimately it's for our own good. And DeYoung uses the word stay. Mm. That's one thing she's like, stay. Yeah. And I think that that's powerful. It's really what you're saying, the enduring faithfulness, Boiling that down to one word is is think about, you know, if you're in your marriage and it's difficult, stay, mm. right? Stay, especially when you don't feel like it. Stay and be committed. 
um, if if there's a friendship and it's hard to find reconciliation, it's hard conversations. Keep having them. Stay hmm. right. And uh, if the church, if it's hard loving people in the church, keep doing it. Stay. Sometimes just that dogged, and especially now because it's so easy to leave and to go and be mobile, and people don't build roots into communities anymore. We're mm-hmm. just sort of these autonomous selves that float around from community <laughs> to community, and we lose that sense of the fruit of a rich life happens when you root in and you stay. Mm. That doesn't mean you can't move for a new job, but it means if you do, go there and go there with a the mindset of like, I don't want to run. If I'm going to move to another place, I want to build roots. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that is, the especi- is, the, is a special challenge for our generation, um, that, that there is something, it's almost a delayed gratification, where it's yeah, like, you know absolutely. what, I'm going to keep loving, keep serving, keep doing this. And what happens is a lot of times your feelings begin to change mm. and you find yourself loving a place or a person or a community in a way that you never thought before. Mm. And what happened? You, it's just, it's almost like God designed us this way. You know, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you invest and then your emotions and feelings start to match that investment. Mm. I mean, G- Jesus tells in the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right. So there that... When you treasure things, when you invest, when you do, when you perform, when you do and, and pour yourself into these things, you begin to find that, yeah, God hardwired us so that our affections will follow what we do and what we invest in. Um, what, what was that dating uh, statistic or, or thing you were telling me about earlier with the like, people who right, initial interactions? Yeah, he, he was just saying that... Um, Is this Gottman again? Yeah, this was Gottman. We love Gottman. Yeah, and he, but he, he was basically saying that people fall in love because of uniqueness that they that it's not the initial attraction but as they get to know each other there's something attractive that this is this is the person you're interested in or this is the person you're dating or this is the person you're married to that their uniqueness that they're that they're sort of your person that you're with makes them more attractive and it's because you've invested right it's because you've made a decision that to 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 sort of single them out and that actually drives uh, their attractions, which is why, you know, in couples, some people, they're insecure about something and their spouse is like, I don't think that's a big deal or I kind of like that about you. Hmm. Well, it's because it's, it's that uniqueness that really draws people together. and that, But that takes time to build and it takes investment and that takes, you know, again, that daily sort of dying to self and, 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 and sacrifice. Hmm. That'll preach. That'll preach. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully this was helpful. Again, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and uh, we'll have uh, more episodes coming your way. Thank you for listening.